0: This is not a trick question, but it's a good place to start. Can somebody tell me what was the topic last Sunday? The Lord's Supper. Can somebody tell me what was the topic the Sunday before? John Wells preached, I believe, the Sunday before. God, he was talking on God, right? Yeah, so can somebody tell me what I preached on the last time? (laughs) That's where I was heading, and I wanted to walk you through the ones you've heard. Does anybody remember? Jesus is God. Jesus is God, right. All right, so thank you, Jesus is God. Not a trick question, just a simple question. I'm sure you've met lots of people that when you talk to them about, or met some, maybe not lots, lot, when you talk to them about Jesus, they say it's not God, he's a man. Or was a man, good man. And, and some say he was an ordinary person. So, now I have a few questions to ask again, just to jog your memory or just to get things rolling. Now, if I come to your house for a visit and your door is locked, how do I get in? Anybody can answer this question. I have to knock, and what happens? Somebody opens the door. I mean, somebody's kind enough to open the door, and then I get in, right? That's the way it's done. Okay, and if we had a party, no, know, like the, any party, let's say here, and then we run out of drinks, what do we do if we still have time for the party? We go to Superstore, Walmart, I'm not promoting any store or <laughs> service, and get some more, get more drinks. Now, I want you to think about this, these questions They're heading somewhere, so I want you to think about them as I'm asking. Now, do you remember the last time that somebody was sick, and somebody came to you, or somebody that you know, and said, I want you to come and heal this person that is sick? In fact, if somebody is sick, and then somebody walks up to you and says, come and heal this person, how will you respond? You will almost be startled or probably don't know how to respond. Now let's get going. What happens if you encounter a blind person on Spring Garden Road? You know, somebody that is blind. What will you normally do? Um, probably move aside, feel sorry, or... If he's a beggar, you give him something, right? That's about it. And hope, wish him well, and hope that it all goes well for him. And I I came to Canada when I was 26 years old. And before then, I lived in Nigeria for, you know, the 26 years, right? (laughs) And uh, I met my wife, I think I was either 22, 22 years or 23. So in my first 17, the first 17 years of my life, can any one of you tell me what I was doing or what stood out the first 17 years of my life? If I've never told you, no, outside, outside of school. Everybody goes to school. If you're a child, you go to school. Something that maybe I'm known for, <laughs> Smiling all the time. In fact, actually, I was known to be frowning all the time. <laughs> the exact opposite. That was what I was known for. <laughs> oh. Better yet, I had an argument with my colleagues last week. Can any one of you tell me what the argument was about? Probably not possible. Well the title of my message this morning is that Jesus is no ordinary man but God. And we're going to prove it so that anytime somebody tells you that Jesus is an ordinary man you probably have to ask him to conv- or to ask him why he thinks so because the activities or the things that Jesus did are not the things that Ordinary men or normal men do? That's why I asked the question, some of those questions. So some of them will come in, you know, shortly. Um, John is a great gospel to start. So let's get to John chapter 20 and let's read together. Now I'll be reading from the New English Translation, and also sometimes from the New King James Version. And I will be doing a lot of flipping as I try to, to, you know, to, to at least advance the discussion. Now, in John chapter 20, we are told this statement. In John chapter 20, John writes this. He says, Now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs. I'm reading from the New English translation. In the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I want you to notice that in John 20, John is the author of John. He writes that he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, or many signs, depending on your translation, which he did not write down in the Gospel of John. But he goes on to say, But these are, I assume he's saying, these miracles that are recorded in this chapter are designed to convince you, to convince me, to convince other people that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that once you're convinced, you need to believe because being convinced really is nothing unless you believe. Believing leads to life. So... And I want you to also notice that Jesus is God. Although he's God, John wants to convince us of that. And so he records some of the things that Jesus did. Miracles, if you like, that only God can perform. And I know, you know some of us, uh, you know, when we talk miracles, we want to back off. But you see, the Bible doesn't back away from these discussions, especially when talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure that we see him for who he is, that he's not an ordinary man. So I'd like to highlight, if you like, some of the miracles that Jesus recorded or that John recorded to prove that only God can perform them. In other words, I'd like to highlight them to prove that Only God can do this, not an ordinary man can do this. There are no human beings that can do this or have done this. I want to show that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was and is still God. And within the realms of these miracles, there are many cases. Almost all cases of the ones recorded in John relate to human needs, the needs of people physical needs, health, hunger, lack of resources, even moral needs. In fact, if you study the book of John carefully, you will see that when Jesus performed a miracle, some people believed. And then Jesus goes on to explain some spiritual truth about himself from that incident. For example, after he had fed 5,000 people in John chapter 6, some believed and then Jesus went on to say, I am the bread of life. When he opened the eyes of the blind man, the man believed. Jesus went on to teach on, I am the light of the world. And uh, so there are many attributes of God, because Jesus is God, that we can look at. But i like to look at just three. The first one is that because he's God, he knows and knew, knows everything past, present, and future. And he knows things about you and me that nobody else does. And because He's God He's everywhere, and could perform acts that ordinary people do not, and because he's God, powerful miracles that he showed you know, in the lives of people. So let's see here. Let's start with Jesus knows everything because he's God. That's my first point. Let's see this. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, there is a disciple that Jesus met. From verse 43, we read this. On the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see. So here we have uh, Philip he has followed the Lord Jesus Christ in previous verses and so he looks for his friend Nathaniel, and said we have found the Messiah we have found the one Moses wrote about Jesus of Nazareth and so Nathaniel said to Philip Na- Nazareth nothing good comes out of Nazareth And there's a reason for that, because Nazareth was not a great town. It was a town known for, you know, bad reputation. So, Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. Now, I want you to think about this. Sometimes, you know, when I read this, it used to occur, I I used to think, oh, maybe Nathanael is just a short distance away from where Jesus is. I believe Nathaniel and Philip were probably in a different location away from where Jesus was. That's why Philip found him and then brought him. So notice verse 41. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and exclaimed, "Look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit." Notice Nathaniel's question. Nathaniel asked him, How did you know me? He said something that relates to Nathanael. Nathanael indeed felt like a true Israelite because nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Then Jesus replied, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than this? Let me start by saying that Jesus knew Nathanael, what he's like, what he thinks, what his character is, before Philip brought him to Jesus. And that's why when Jesus told him, you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, Nathanael was startled. He not only knows Nathaniel, he knows you, he knows me. So that's the first example. You see, when I say that Jesus knows everything, what I want to do is to use examples to illustrate this. And so let's go to the next one. Well, somebody might say "Uh, Nathaniel must have told him about, uh, uh, Philip must have told him about Nathaniel. That's how he knew. There's nothing very intelligent about that. Then let's go to the next one. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Because remember, John said, I write these things to help you believe that Jesus is God. That's why I'm highlighting this. So, John chapter 4. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee, but he has to pass through Samaria. And he's tired. And his disciples are going to the city of Samaria to get food. So he sits at a well. Let's read together. Verse 4. But he has to pass through Samaria. Now he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, said, right down beside the well, it was about noon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. This is a very familiar story, I believe, to most of us. So Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So the woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman for water to drink. You need to understand, the Samaritans and the Jews were hostile to one another. Um, They didn't interact. And it was even worse when a man asks a woman for water. So Jesus asked her. So let's just read, so that at least I don't spend so much time trying to explain when we can see it. So notice she calls him a Jew. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? Then Jesus answered her, if you have known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Living water. I need to pause, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> uh, you need to think about this as, um, uh, my sister, my wife is in Rhode Island right now, uh, Providence, is that what is this, so she's in Providence. And you need to think about, the best way to think about this, think about a Canadian you know, meeting somebody in Providence. So Jesus, a Jew, is going to Samaria. They've never met. They've never known each other. No internet, no Facebook for conversation, no text messages, nothing of that sort. They have never had any encounter with one another. So this woman is meeting Jesus for the first time. There has been no discussion between both of them, either through their friends or through their enemies. They just... Made for the first time. So so Jesus answered in verse 18. If you know the gift of God and who is he who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. (laughs) The woman mocked and said, sir. The woman said to him, you have no buckets and the world is deep. Where then do you get this living water? So she was kind of saying, you have no buckets, you can't get water, so you don't know what they are talking about. Surely you are not greater than our ancestors, Jacob. Are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. So Jesus replied to her, Everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. So conversation is going on between this woman and Jesus. The woman said to her, sir. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. So, you know, they are enjoying these conversations. They said, well, you say you can give living water, so please give it to me because I want my belly to be filled and I don't want to drink any more water. Jesus said to her, and I want you to pay attention here, Go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, right you are when you said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the man you are living with now is not your husband. You, this you say truly. Now, think about that for a moment. Let's assume that Jesus was wrong in what he said. She would have been embarrassed. She would have probably jumped at him. But he had said something that has been the pattern of our life for many years. Something that only God can know. And I, I'll show you that if you... If you, if you move your eyes, just um, uh, to verse 28, when the woman went back to the city, this is what she said, verse 28, then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, Jesus told her something about herself that was not communicated to Jesus Christ before. He told her about her life because only God can do that. That's why I ask you whether you know the story of my life before I turned 17. Only God knows the detailed stories of our lives to that degree. In fact, the woman's message to the people in the city was come see the man that told me everything I ever did. It was at that point in time she said, you are not just a Jew, a sir, you are now a prophet. And then Jesus went on, there was discussion on worship and then she said well I know the Messiah is coming and Jesus said I am the Messiah. And of course she went to the city and her message was come see the man that told me everything I ever did. As I said, Jesus is God, and as God, he knows everything. So, when somebody tells you that Jesus is not God, ask them to tell you the story of your life up to this moment. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. So, he's God. So, <laughs> She went and then she communicated that to the people in the city and of course they came to the city uh, came to see Jesus and then spoke with him and after some interaction they said now you have to stay in that city for two days now we believe not only because of what she's told us but because of what you've said so Jesus is God. Now, one more example, and then we'll tie in some applications. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We'll tie in two things here right away. Now, part of what happens is we, we know so much, uh, so much incidences or stories about Jesus that sometimes I don't think I, let me speak for me. Do not pay attention to the details. In this incident in John chapter 20, Jesus has come back from the dead. And in verse 19 of John 20, he says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors. That's why I said, when you lock doors, I locked my door last night. The only way you could get in was either to ring the bell knock, Now come and open the door for you. So the doors were locked. And they locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Look at what happened. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them. So how did he get in? Well, somebody will say, you know, Angel Gabriel showed up when Zachariah was... At the temple. But Angel Gabriel never lived on earth for 33 years as a man. And he did something else when he showed up. Look at it, what it says. So Jesus came and he says, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he did this. He showed them his hands and his side. He didn't want them to mistake him. An angel. He wanted them to make sure they see the sight and the hands that it was a man. So he showed them the sight and the and all of that. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, just as my father has sent me, so I send you. Now I have to ask myself the question. How did he leave? Have you ever wondered? Did he walk through the door? It's only God that can come into your midst when the doors are locked. In fact, let's read the next one. The next verse there. Now, Thomas, verse 24, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands. That's what he wanted to see. That's what he showed them when he showed up. And put my fingers into the wounds from the nails and put my hands into his side. I will not believe. That's what Jesus showed the other disciples. The hands and the side. So I could imagine Thomas walking all week. Peter must be confused. John must be Confused. I don't know, the grief that they are going through is getting a hold of them and they are just imagining that the Lord has showed up. So Jesus allowed Thomas to go through these motions for eight days, wondering whether he still exists. Now, we read the next verse. Eight days later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Notice, he says, although the doors were locked, that's important. Jesus came and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." Right? Although the doors were locked, he showed up. Then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it into my side." Now, now think about Thomas. He had had this conversation with Peter, James, and John that Jesus had not showed up. But then Jesus wasn't physically there, but he was there because God knows everything. Because when he showed up, he went directly to Thomas and said, Okay, you wanted proof? Here is proof. He knew what Thomas was thinking, he knew what Thomas said, and he knew all of that. Because Jesus is God. Only God knows the intricacies of our lives. The things we think about, the things that we worry about, the things we plan to do and things like that, only God does. So Jesus knew that. And of course it was after this incident that John said many other miracles he did. So personal and intimate knowledge of our present thoughts, the past life and doubts, conversations that we've had with others, it's only God that knows the details. And Jesus knows this, therefore. I wouldn't say, therefore, it's God. I say, as God, he knows this. Because regardless of the evidence, he's still God. Now, the psalmist says something like this in Psalm 139. Talking about God in Psalm 139. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts are far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. So as God, I believe that the Lord Jesus knows not just what Thomas was thinking, not just what the woman of Samaria did, her past life, not just what Nathaniel was thinking. He knows about us. He knows about you. He knows about us individually to the minutest details. Our struggles, our fears, our failures. And that's wonderful. That at least he knows about that. And as God is also present everywhere. That's why I said the doors were locked and Jesus showed up. As we are speaking, he's here. He has chosen Not to reveal himself physically, but he's here. Because he's not limited. In fact, he told the disciples in Matthew chapter 20, all authority or power is given unto me. Lo, I am with you always. And if he's going to be with you always, you have to be with Peter, James, John, and they're not always together in different places. And that will include us. So he's here as well. He's there when you are in your bedroom and you're afraid he knows about it and is there. When you are going through things that you don't understand, he knows about it and is there. The Lord Jesus is God because his knowledge exceeds that of a normal human being. No ordinary man will do that. So that's why when somebody tells you next time that Jesus is not God, you can ask them to tell you what your worries or anxiety were the day before. Because he knows. They don't. All right, so. He knows everything, and that's a great thing. And he's present everywhere. The psalmist goes on to add in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Verse seven. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven you are there. If I make my bed in hell because you are there. Behold you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost part of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall fall on me even the night shall be light about me. Indeed the darkness shall not hide from you but the night shines as the day. So he knows he's everywhere and he sees all. Nobody can hide their personal lives and acts and actions from the Lord. Jesus is God. No ordinary human being. John said, I'm writing these things so that you may know that Jesus is God. Now, To make it even much more interesting, in fact, one other person, I think I'm going to stop here, but one other man. This man was busy. And he was busy doing certain things that were wrong. Acts chapter 7. Let's read together. In Acts chapter 7. Now I'm forced to open my Bible. I do have some notes, but in Acts chapter 7, there was a man by name of Saul. Verse Maybe let's go to chapter 8 because of time. In chapter 7, Stephen is killed and Saul is busy. Let's read from verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to the, his burial and made great lamentations. Over him. Look at verse 3. And for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So Paul was very busy, busy persecuting the church. In chapter 9, if we just quickly go there, chapter 9, and I'm reading from the New English Translation now. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to mother the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he was going along approaching Damascus, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was a busy man, killing disciples, killing the Lord's people, dragging them to prison and beating them up. And he was doing them, all this in the name of the Lord, But Jesus knows everything, and he was watching. So at the right moment, he confronted him and said, why are you persecuting me? And look at what Saul said. Who are you? So he said, who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. So Jesus spoke to him directly. So he was watching him as he was busy killing and persecuting Christians. And he intervened at the right time. Now the point I'm making is that he knows everything. It's not always obvious to us that he does, but he does. Because he doesn't intervene or seem to intervene the way he wants him to intervene, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know and that he's not present. And it's only God that knows everything. No ordinary human being knows everything. Now, do you know what message Saul preached? After scales fell from his eyes? Exactly what John was saying. If you just flip your eyes to verse 19. After Saul had eaten food, he says, his strength returned. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, this man is the son of God. Prior to that, he thought, you know, he was just a human being. But as soon as the scales fell from his eyes, he began to proclaim. Remember, John wrote his, his epistle. So that ye may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is what Paul, or Saul began to preach. Not only that, if you keep going in verse 22, but Saul became more and more capable and was causing consternation among the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that what? Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah, the Son of God. That's what it takes for a man to have life. He has to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And once Saul got life, that was the message. You see, he knows everything, and that's a good thing. It means we can lean on him, we can rely on him, we can look to him. He knows everything about us, our future, our fears, our concern, and we can look to him. Now, as you will notice, I haven't spoken about the traditional miracles. Oh, the feeding of the 6,000 which we can recite, even though things like that don't happen normally, that again proves that he's God. Or the blind man that was confronted and he told them, can you tell me somebody that opens the eyes of one that was born blind? He told that to the Pharisees and they were upset and then kicked him out because Jesus did that. Or Lazarus that was raised from the dead, it's it's again in John. Because, Because of that, Many people believed, and the scribes and the teachers became very, how do you put this, antagonistic against Jesus because they said, if we let him go, more people will believe because this man does many signs. We have to get rid of him. Friends, Jesus is God, and I want that to be established in our minds so that when you are a child of God, you walk with confidence. Confidence. You know, the world can mock you or say all kinds of things against you, but you know that you are in the right side, that you are in the right team, that your anchor holds because he's God. So he knows everything, and he performs lots of miracles. Of course, I do have those traditional miracles, but I'm not going to talk about them. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, It's no use knowing that it's God because John said, I'm writing that so that you may know. But I don't want you just to know, I want you to know and then do what? Believe. Put your trust in Him. That's the only time it makes a difference. This information for all intent and purpose is useless if you do not put your the weight of your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the essence of his message was so that you may believe. And you can do that this morning because Jesus is God. And so we walk with confidence. We walk with assurance because we are in God's team. We are in the right side. Now, be thou my vision is what we are going to sing. Sam gave that to me this morning. So, and I said we will sing it at the end. So I'll pray and then we will sing. Lord, we thank you for your son. We pray that you help us to look to him and to lean on him, to trust him because he's God. He's no ordinary human being. Help us to honor him and to bring glory to him. Thank you for his greatness and his power. Thank you that in spite of his greatness and power, he chose to die for sinners like us. Help us to love him and to worship him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's sing, Be Thou My Vision. Standing as you are able, and then we will close.
1: My...